You are listening to Hellcat's Hope, episode number eight. Welcome to Hellcat's Hope, the podcast to find humor, healing, and hope. Come along with Hellcat as she explores ways to help you overcome adversity and find your own inner Hellcat. Yes, Hellcat is her legal middle name, and hope is her game, bringing hope to others by showing what's possible. Here's your host, law school grad, motivational speaker, author, and certified life and smoking cessation coach, Lori Hellcat Bamford. Hey, welcome back, friends. Welcome to episode eight, Intuitive Eating, Healing from the Diet Culture and Hope for Recovery. So today is a kind of a serious topic, and I encourage you to read the trigger word designations noted in the show notes and make sure that this is an episode for you. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing my sister-in-law, Sarah Nicole Burt. Sarah has a business where she coaches clients on various topics related to intuitive eating and self-care and self-love. So today we're going to talk about intuitive eating. We're going to talk about the diet mentality and diet culture. Again, it's not about whatever food program you choose to follow. I don't care if it's Weight Watchers or keto or low carb or high carb or vegetarian, whatever is going to work for you, as long as it is honoring your body and loving your body in a positive way. We're going to talk about gentle nutrition. We're going to talk about disordered eating and mental health recovery. So thank you for listening today and let's get started. I want to welcome to the show, Sarah Burt. And Sarah, why don't you just tell the listeners that they don't already know you, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks for having me, Lori. This is a fun, good opportunity. I have looked forward to it. Yay. I'm glad you're here. So, um, yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I live in Texas with a great guy, my husband, John. I'm a mama of three boys, Noah, he's 13, you know, navigating the teen world, I'm navigating the teen world. We're just getting through it every day. Evan is 12. He's my football player, athletic. We call him our puppy. Runs back and forth and shoots balls and, you know, what you would expect. And uh, his biggest dream is to play for the University of Texas and maybe be an NFL star. So, you know, we're busy trying to help him with those goals and dreams. And then we've got a six-year-old. His name is Ben. Ben is just like his daddy, a big, big personality, fun, absolutely loves Halloween. I'll thank my dad for that. He plans his costume, not exaggerating, all year long. Oh, that is fantastic. He's fun. I saw his, uh, yeah, the clown one scared me. Yeah. Like legit scared me. (laughs) Yep. Uh, He loves clowns, scary clowns. He terrorizes his brother, Evan, with them because Evan is petrified, has nightmares. It's, It's pretty awesome. You know, they're just pretty amazing people. And these are my amazing nephews that you're talking about. So yes, yes. I'm a lover of animals. We currently live in a zoo. I have two dogs, a golden and a mini schnauzer a brand new kitten, three parakeets, a hamster, and seven fish. Good Lord. Yeah. You've like, you seriously have a zoo. I have a zoo. 
Everyone has a pet except for John, my husband. He just puts up with it and complains about the smell. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise me in the least. <laughs> uh, no, he's always running around cleaning after one of us or the pet. So I spend my time overseeing my zoo and my amazing sons. I do a lot of reading, writing, teaching. I love to road trip and I practice a lot of self-care. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, the reason why I wanted to interview, you are my very first guest interview. And <laughs> I knew when I wanted to do this podcast that you were going to be one of the first people I wanted to interview. Because I've noticed our paths just in the last year or two started to become very parallel. And I just noticed some of the things that you were sharing about intuitive eating, loving your body, the information that you were sharing about the diet mentality and diet culture was exactly the same that I have been studying and working on. And I also saw that you have started your own business. So why don't you tell us a, a little bit about your business and the services that you provide? So the business is my name, Sarah Nicole LLC. I just was very simple because I knew that I had a lot that I could give the world. You know, I felt from my experience and perspective that I had something to say. And I thought maybe if I said it, it would help another person. You know, I thought if just one person in the world, if it, if it can change their life as my life has been changed, it was worth it. And so I started out actually wanting to blog about my experiences in my life as far as my food and my body and my eating patterns. And it just turned into this thing where I could write, but I couldn't put it out there. So I knew that that needed to hold on a minute. Simultaneously, I was getting messages. The pandemic had just started people asking, you know, I'm really struggling with food and eating right now. What diet do you suggest? What? And I just kept saying them. I don't suggest any diet. And I told them about intuitive eating. And so I went on Facebook and I said, hey, if, if you're out there and you're needing help, I'm going to offer you my services. And that turned into this business. The business is me working one-on-one -on -one with clients and we walk through the practice of intuitive eating. We walk through what it is and how to do it and life-changing things that can occur. It's six weeks program. And it's a very low cost to you. And you have me by your side motivating you. And really, that's all it is. It's just that simple. We also offer, you know, one-on-one -on -one consultations here and there. I do not do any diets. I don't do any meal plans. I don't do any weighing or measuring. I refuse to do it. And I refuse to do it because I know that that doesn't fit in with the intuitive eating mentality. And if you could describe intuitive eating? Like if somebody said, you know, what is intuitive eating? How would you define it? Intuitive eating is the awareness of the body's physiological cues. And physiological means what your body is doing inside, how it's working, what it's feeling as far as physical feelings. So the body's physiological cues as to when the person has become hungry due to the emptying of the stomach, and then an awareness to when they are satisfied by the presence of food in the stomach. That's intuitive eating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I first heard of it when I started working with my life coach over two and a half years ago, uh, fit and fat Korean Crabtree. And this is what I tell everybody. I joined for the vanity because I wanted to, you know, lose weight. I joined for the vanity and I stayed for the sanity. And that's what she teaches. You know, I remember when I first joined, I was like, okay, where's my meal plan? 
Oh no, we're not doing a meal plan. Well, how much am I supposed to eat? Mm, no, <laughs> we're not doing that either. And the way she teaches it is she calls it the hunger scale. And so it is based upon that feeling of when your body tells you that you're hungry and it needs food. And then she describes that as like a negative two. So a zero is you're, you're neither hungry nor satisfied. And then negative 10 is you've been on a deserted island for 40 days and you've had no food. And then plus 10 is, you know, you're probably pretty sick you know, yes. just eating that much. Mm -hmm. So she coaches to stay in between the negative two and the plus two. The negative two is you feel a little depleted, maybe a growl, not necessarily. Everybody's hunger cues are different. And a plus two is you're satisfied. Yes. Like you, you've had enough food in your body. It's not full. That is a concept that I've really had to work on because I was so used to overfilling my body that I really had to practice that. And that's really what it is, a practice, isn't it? It's not yes. something you're going to get overnight, and it is yes. a practice. It takes time. It takes time to rewire the brain. We are wired at birth to be able to sense when we are satisfied, when it's time to stop eating. We're also wired to know when it is time to eat. Over time, through diet mentality, which diet mentality is an approach to life that's rooted in the belief that if you restrict the intake of food, you exercise more, you chase the next fad diet, then you're going to finally be happy. That's going to be a resolve to those things or some other rooted issues that we have to figure out. And so over time that that happens and, and our brains are rewired to this diet mentality. And so we have to pause and stop and practice this intuitive eating stance where we learn to listen to our bodies again and anything like that is going to take time. Right. And that's the biggest thing I've learned over the last two to three years is learning to trust myself and trust mm -hmm. my body. Because it, as far as my weight loss journey, I spent years chasing that fad diet and I spent years doing the restriction and starvation and then overeating and then over-exercising. So I was in this cycle of bulimia, mm -hmm. which was, you know, it's not the traditional vomiting, mm -hmm. but it was bulimia because it was overfeeding, eating large quantities of food, and then from shame and guilt, mm -hmm. punishing myself by over-restriction and over-exercise. And so the intuitive eating just made so much sense to me. Because number one, it got me out of that cycle and the diet mentality, and it is teaching me to trust my body. Yes. And it is teaching me when my body tells me that it's hungry, me trusting that my body knows when it's hungry. Yes. And that I'm not going to deny it when it tells me that it's hungry. And, mm -hmm. and again, it's a, it's a practice and it's a process. And, you know, when you don't listen to your body, then you examine, well, why? You know, why did you choose in that moment to not listen to your body and to do it from a place of no shame and judgment? If I've learned anything, that is a dead end path. Yes. When you start shaming and judging yourself for just a choice that you made that has something to do with food, then you're going to continue to beat yourself up. And that's a dead end path. It's a dead end path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you find that one of the biggest hurdles you have with your clients is to get them over this, the diet mentality and the diet culture? And then, and how do you do that? Absolutely. It is the greatest challenge that I face. And I, you know, I understand, 
I understand why it is difficult. You know, like I said, it's, it's an approach to life. It's almost a coping mechanism for some people to diet. So um, I think what we need to understand is that what a diet is. So a diet is a controlled regimen of food and beverage intake as to influence health. The appropriate time to ever be on any type of diet is when it has been prescribed by a doctor due to a clinical need. And as a clinical dietitian, that's what we do. And when you are on this prescribed diet, it's to be overseen by a doctor and a registered dietitian nutritionist. The rest of us who do not have a clinical need, we need to be practicing our innate ability of listening, like you said, and trusting our bodies. Because our bodies are going to tell us exactly what we need, how much we need it, and when we've had enough. We've, most of us, if I'm working with a client who has already gone through half of their life and they've been through these generations and generations and generations of people who have taught them to lose weight, be on a diet. Some people are taught you need to, you need to gain weight. You need to change your body to fit in, to be happy. All those things that were taught, finish the food on your plate. How many times have you been taught that? In our household, my husband calls it a happy plate. But, you know, that came from a time where, where there was depression in, in the economics and people didn't have enough food. And so they didn't know when their next meal was coming. And so they practiced preventative eating. Mm. Well, that gets so ingrained in our brains because like I said, our brains are literally wiring themselves along the way. Right. And so you're doing something and you don't even know why you're doing it. You have no clue until you look at it and examine it. And so what I do is I just have people do that. I also use the hunger scale and my hunger scale looks a little bit different, but it's similar and it has the same outcome. And so there's a lot of practicing of that. There's also a lot of journaling that goes along a minimum of 10 meals or eating times is what I call them of journaling because we need to know the why. Why yeah. are you, why are you eating? Yeah. Um, for some people, like I said, it's a coping mechanism or it's out of boredom or it's entertainment or um, you're eating and you don't even know you're eating. It's unintentional. It's just a habit. Your brain yes. sends you that signal that you've listened to for so long. Yes. Of this mm -hmm. is my time to unwind. I deserve yes. this. I'm, you know, I'm feeling some emotions I don't want to feel. I'm going to go get the Cheez-Its. Yep. And so then it becomes a psychological cue instead of a physiological cue. Yes. And so those are the chains we have to break. Right. And that is what I work on with my clients. And I think that people want a quick result. And so, you know, in the past, whether it's counting calories or counting points or taking out whole food groups or whatever it is, some people see pounds fall off or whatever it is they're trying to do, you know, quickly. Well, with anything that's good, it's going to take time and it's a practice, but your body will respond. Your body does respond and it responds in the way that it needs to respond. You notice that you start to feel better. You notice the freedom that you find, your psychological freedom that you find, like what you said, you found your sanity. Right. And sometimes people don't even know, they don't even know that they need it, that, that right. that's an issue. And so it's just constant repeating and reaffirming and practicing self-love and self-care and journaling and just over and over and over again. And, and sometimes we break the chains and sometimes we don't, and that's okay. 
and we just come back and, and we do it all over again. Yeah. And, and I'm, I love that you brought up journaling. You know how I feel about journaling. <laughs> that yes. is my first book that I'm working on is journaling mm -hmm. your path to healing and hope. And it changed my life. You know, I was always a writer. I enjoyed writing, but it wasn't until these last two to three years that I really got into the journaling part of it. Because for me, my diet mentality or my weight loss experiences uh, you know, of course, trying every diet. I no longer say I struggled with my weight my entire life because I don't think that thought serves me when I think mm -hmm. about struggling or fighting my weight. I just think it was a trying to find what works for me. The brain science of neuroplasticity that we do have the ability to change our brain. We have the ability where our brain has been wired to just eat out of habit or to eat out of emotion that we have the ability to retrain our brain in a different way. And what I find so peaceful for me now on this journey is to be able to look at my brain and listen and trust my body and say, food solves hunger. My brain can solve everything else and just developing this new relationship with food and that it's not one to be restricted and, you know, food is to be enjoyed. One of the frustrations that I experienced, and maybe you have experienced this with your clients, is it is a little slower than the usual diet tactics. I know for me, I lost 80 pounds in 14 weeks. That was very unhealthy. <laughs> I do not recommend it <laughs> because it was a series of extreme restriction and extreme exercise. Now, I don't regret it because it really taught me some other things. It taught me that I can lose weight. It taught me that I love exercise and I love meal prep. So it, it taught me some really good things and I won the contest. <laughs> that was fun, but it, it, it messed with my mind. It messed with my body physiologically, it did. So I want to do something that I can do for the rest of my life. And intuitive eating and trusting your body, would you agree, is something that you can do for the rest of your life? It is something that you can do for the rest of your life. You can do it for the rest of your life because it's innate. It's something mm -hmm. that was built in. So I have to t teach my client the practice of getting reacquainted with themselves again. Yes. You know, you got to think about that. Years and years of not fully knowing yourself, not loving yourself deeply. It's going to take just as much time to kind of untangle that knot and get reacquainted with yourself first and foremost. And the way that we do that is we start by examining what their own hunger and satiety cues feel like. For some people, they don't know what Either of those feel like some people don't know what it feels like to be hungry because they've overridden those cues so many times. And then, and then the opposite of that. So it takes time. And I just remind people that they're in a non-judgment zone. It does not matter how long it takes you. We're going to do this. My program is six weeks long, but if it takes us 12 weeks, we'll take 12 weeks. You take the time that you need because not only are we, we learning those cues, but we're also learning how to measure them. Like I said, we're learning the whys behind them. We're also walking through things like self-love, self-compassion, self-understanding, non-judgment. Yes. We talk about that shame and guilt. Because many of those things are connected to eating patterns and behaviors. 
And so it takes a lot of work to break free from those things, which takes time. And for some, that's very frustrating. Right. You know, for me, it's frustrating. I, I've been practicing this for a while and I still have moments where I'm incredibly frustrated, but I know that if I just trust the process, right. And trust myself each day, I'm going to see, and it may not be because something in my body appearance wise has changed, or it may be my mind that is getting the benefit. When your mind is getting the benefit, your body feels it as well. And so it's this overall holistic approach yes. to health, to feeling good. And that that's kind of the conclusion I've come to is the weight loss is going to be a byproduct of my mental health. Mm -hmm. And that is where I have seen the progress is mm -hmm. I've lost a ton of mental weight and my body will catch up. It's yes. just going to take a little bit. Yeah. You have to remember that you're communicating with something, the mind and the body. Sometimes there's a disconnect there. And so you have to connect it. And sometimes one is slower than the other. Right. Um, so that's why we practice a lot of patience. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. Sarah, I also understand you teach your clients this concept of gentle nutrition. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So after we have reacquainted ourselves with what our hunger and satiety cues feel like, after we've worked through things like self-compassion and love, shame and guilt, then we approach nutrition. I'm a dietitian, and so I do give education over the basics of nutrition. So they learn over about three weeks, we go through many of the basics and I encourage them to apply that new knowledge, whether it's new or old for them, with intention to what they already are eating. And so what gentle nutrition is, it's just practicing eating from a place of care, not control. So practicing eating from a place of self-care, not control. So you eat the vegetables, whole grains, omega-3s, because it makes you feel good. Yes. Because that's what your body uses to rebuild and build itself. You eat with intention and you always enjoy all foods. No food is off the table yeah. um, unless there's a clinical need and then the doctor and the dietitian handle those things. But just applying that to our everyday eating times. Mm -hmm. and, and what freedom there is in knowing you can eat whatever you want. And as long as you are honoring your body and listening to your body and trusting your body, that that's a good thing. Now, if you're not losing the weight that you want to, then do you have the clients look at it and say, okay, you're overfeeding your body. How do you coach your clients when they aren't reaching the goals that they want to that they want to reach with their weight? With me, and, and I don't know how other intuitive eating, eating teachers teach, but with me, there's no weigh-ins, no measurements. I am simply teaching the practice of intuitive eating. So practicing these things that we've talked about, the cues, the hunger scale, the judgment, the self-compassion, and then learning nutrition itself. Why do we need fat? Why do we need carbohydrates? Why do we need protein? Those types of things and what they're doing in your body. You would be amazed what just a little bit of knowledge does for somebody. It goes a long, long way. Right. And then also letting them know that if, you're, if you want something sweet every day, let's talk about it. Let's do it with intention. Let's leave room in the stomach for those things. 
that's, that's what I'm teaching. I love it. You know, it usually comes out in conversation, which I expect that, you know, I kind of want to know what the mentality is. So I pick up on that throughout it. And then if it's weight loss, I just continually reassure them that if you trust your body, your body is going to be at the weight that it needs to be in order for you to survive, for you to live. And like what you said, Lori, before, you're a whole lot emotionally lighter, which makes you feel a whole lot better about yourself. Absolutely. Um, Sometimes it's not weight loss for people. Sometimes people look at themselves and think I'm too thin, you know, whatever that means to them, whatever that means to you, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Right. Um, but your body is going to be what it's going to be. And it's going to be the size that it needs to be. I love that you take the focus off a number and you take the focus off the scale. I think, you know, a lot of the clients that I coach and myself of not only having a, a, a normal relationship with food, a healthy relationship with food, but also the scale. I mean, we, we have, you know, for me, when I lost that 80 pounds in 14 weeks, I really liked the size that I was, but my brain, because I didn't do the mental work on the way down, that's why it all came back, didn't address the mental work. And it was from, from a place of restriction and self-loathing all the way down. Mm -hmm. And that's just not going to work. And it, it, it didn't work. And so this time, just looking at it differently, well, even when I had lost all that weight, I was still like, oh no, I got to lose 20 or 30 more. I got to lose. I have to be in the, you know, one seventies. I have to, I just have to. That's, oh, cause you know, that BMI chart. <laughs> what do you think about that BMI chart? Yep. And I always ask why, why <laughs> do you have to be there? You know, we talk about it. Good. Why? What about performance? What are you doing? How much progress have you made with this intuitive eating? Let's look at that. What about for some people it's running, they're running usually when they're doing this or they're doing yoga or moving their body. Let's talk about that. How's that performance? Why can't we measure ourselves yes. on those sorts of things? Finding ways to reward ourselves that has nothing to do with food and yes. the shape of our body. Yes. Those sorts of things like let's measure, let's measure life in that way. Let's find joy. Why? Why do you have to weigh 170 pounds? Who told you that? What do your labs look like? What does your doctor say? Right. Love it. I, I shared a little bit about my eating disorders through the years, and I've been to a binge eating disorder therapy. I, of course, have had the life coaching. It is something that I have worked on seriously for the last three years. And it's, it's parallel to the path of developing a normal relationship with food, right? Like these things run tandem uh, yes. because it has so much to do with the mental side of it. So I've shared my eating disordered history. Do you find that your clients or yourself have those same issues and how do you coach around that? And how have you healed yourself? Well, I believe that disordered eating is more prevalent than we are aware of. Yeah. Over consuming food in the Western culture is something of a norm. On the hunger scale, I do from zero to 10, zero being that you are empty, 10 being that you are so full that you are sick. My client's job is to stay between a four and a seven on the hunger scale for so many reasons. And we learn that in intuitive eating. And most people will admit that they usually sit at an eight, nine, sometimes a 10. And not any book has said this. I mean, I'm saying this from my point of view of, I believe that that's disordered eating. Right. And then on the opposite side of that, if you stay, if you keep yourself under a four constantly, that's disordered eating. You're, yeah. you're restricting, you're starving yourself. Why? 
people do this is something that has to be investigated for sure by a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. So I believe it's prevalent. I believe that nobody is immune to it. You know, it affects people of all shapes and sizes, ethnicities, backgrounds, age. You cannot see it sometimes, you know, it's not a stereotypical. Usually, you know, we think people with eating disorders are thin and sick looking, not the truth. And then the opposite, people who overconsume may not look like they overconsume. So yes, eating disorder is very prevalent. It seems like about, I'm not going to say every client that I work with, but there are, you know, almost everyone, everyone struggles, you know, that's just general, that's just across the board with everything I believe. And so those are the things that we work on from time to time. I will have a client or somebody come to me who is in some need of help beyond myself. So I always make sure that I stay in my scope of practice and get those to the people that they need to be with. But it just, it doesn't surprise me that people come in and don't know that they even have, you know, an eating disorder or, or disordered eating. And so those are the things that we, we get to catch sometimes, which is a big deal. You know, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. I think because yeah. there's such a stigma attached to it. When I say I have had eating disorders or I am working on an eating disorder, I have to really work my mind around the mental health aspect and judgment of that. It's like, we just, we just have to understand that it's out there and it's okay to talk about. And the people who have it aren't strange, they aren't, they aren't scary. And we also have to have a lot of compassion for one another. So, you know, I, I'll tell you a little bit about my own eating disorder and my story, just to kind of show you even somebody who has a degree in dietetic license, gone through an internship. I'm studying mental health. Now I'm working on my master's and towards a PhD. Somebody like me will still hide it. Yeah. So I was 17 when an eating disorder began for me. So I'm a survivor of childhood abuse and sexual assault. I had a genetic predisposition to inquiring an eating disorder and a trauma-related disorder. I have my granddad and uncle both suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder and took their lives. And then I have a couple of people in my family who suffer from eating disorders as well. So with those things and growing up in that diet mentality culture, It just kind of happened for me and it started about 17. So my way to cope with the trauma was through bulimia nervosa. And I wasn't the typical bulimia nervosa patient either. I did other things, but it gave me the bulimia nervosa, like I said, was a coping mechanism. So it gave me a sense of control. It gave me control because I had had no agency in my own life. So Although I felt like I could control this one thing, what went in my body and what came out, unfortunately for me and and most people with eating disorders, eating disorders are very pervasive. Therapy world, they lovingly call eating disorder by name. They call it it a him and they call him Ed and he's pervasive. Yes. Yeah. So what I believed I was controlling ended up controlling me. I could not stop hurting myself. I was just completely consumed by bulimia nervosa. I was so ashamed of it that I didn't reveal it to anyone, not anyone, not my best friend, not a parent, not a doctor, not a therapist, not a professor, not my husband. My husband had no idea. And I just revealed it to them about a few years ago. And the only reason I revealed it is because it just about took my life. Right. 
So, you know, during this time in order to recover, I went and became a dietitian. I call it my $68,000 form of of treatment (laughs) Uh, because the knowledge that I gained, I believed at the time helped me recover. Keep in mind, even after graduation, I still hadn't talked about it or received any, any true treatment. I went into remission for a little while, but then it began rearing its head later on when those memories of that trauma came back up. Those are known as trauma triggers or responses. And so when those came up, it was like something like somebody had opened a window and I could not stop what was coming in. And I just remember that feeling of, I think kind of a light bulb went in was, I have no control over this sucker. This is like an addiction. It's completely controlling me. So in order to save my life and truly face that I needed treatment, I couldn't do it on my own. I sought treatment at the center, a place of hope in Edmonds, Washington. Beautiful. I mean, just a beautiful town. And I think that the therapists and people had angel wings under their clothes. I'd swear by it. Oh, it that. just was such a special time in my life. And let me tell you, Lori, I was terrified going. I was like, people know my secret. I'm, I remember pulling up to the front of the building and take this with a grain of salt. I did tell myself, I'm officially a crazy person. <laughs> I'm officially, you're taking me into this place and you know, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it wasn't that case. It was a lot of people just like me, normal people, beautiful people who they just were victims, you know, victims of these disorders, obsessive compulsive, bipolar disorder, eating disorders. For me, it was complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's been treatment and recovery has been the greatest gift I've ever received, even for my husband and children as well. I think that they would say the same thing. Right. And you're sharing this with others. I mean, I just, I commend and applaud you sharing this and your vulnerability, because like you said at the beginning, you have a story to tell, to show people what's possible. And you know, that's Mm -hmm. what this podcast is about. It's about sharing hope. And it sounds like you found hope there. I found hope. I definitely found hope in something that I thought it's not going to end till it ends, you know? And, um, I also know that recovery is not linear. Um, it is ups and downs and twists and turns and upside down in the roller coaster, but that's where self-compassion comes in. Yes. And, um, once you learn that, you know, intuitive eating, that's where I learned it. That's where I learned it was through the process of healing and recovery. Um, and I have to say, honestly, that it has meant freedom. It's like somebody opened this treasure chest up for me because that's what it's been. Yeah, it it is complete freedom. Well, Sarah, I, again, I I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be my first interviewed guest for the (laughs) podcast. This is something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And uh, I take it very seriously because I see the hope in it and I see it changing people's lives. And I'm so excited for the work that you're doing and just keep sharing it and removing that stigma from the mental health piece and the eating disorder piece. And so it's voices like yours that are bringing hope to people. And so I thank you for that. And if anybody listening would want to get more information on how to work with you one-on-one, I assume you, do you do coaching via Zoom with your clients? 
Yes, okay. I do. Um, everything is done through Zoom. Sometimes we have to hop on, you know, different different methods, but you can, I'm pretty simple. I have a Facebook page at Sarah Nicole LLC. You can message me through that or you can email me. Email has a little bit of a different name. It's layered by life at yahoo.com and that's just, those are the two best ways to get in touch with me. Great. And I will put that information in the show notes so that if somebody would like to follow up and work with you, uh, they can do that. So absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for talking about these issues. And, you know, I, again, I just, I want this podcast to be about humor and healing and hope. And I really think you gave a lot of, of healing and hope. And there was some humor thrown in here too. It wasn't all heavy. <laughs> so, so thank you so much. And um, we will talk soon. Okay. Thank you, Lori. Right. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Hellcats Hope. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. To book me as a speaker for your next event, work one-on-one -on -one as a coach, or find more information on my upcoming book, please go to whatthehellcat.com. Thanks for listening.